I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Verk. Nothing personal word of the day. Verk, as in Adnan Verk. It's a Samson sit down. We got him. I don't know how we did. Adnan, welcome to Nothing Personal. Thanks for doing this with us. First off, David, only true friends call me Verk. So I like the fact that you recognize my name. You see, you know, this is this is a Verk. This is not an admin. This is a Verk. And when I see Samson, I want to go Samson. I don't, this is the only time I'm going to call you David. I want to call you Samson because that's just a strong name, biblical era. Listen, I know you did your homework prior to this interview. I've done my homework prior to this interview. I already texted Stugatz, I didn't want to bother Levitard. I texted Stugatz, Billy, and Cody. So they have each given me information I can use throughout the interview. So I've, uh, I've done my homework. I'm excited to do this. Are you going to try to do a turnaround where <laughs> I'm the one who's interviewed? I think it's just more of a discussion. I'm so happy. By the way, forgetting sports, I can't wait to talk about movies with you because it is rare to find the combination that we both have which is a love of sports and movies. Most people say they love movies, but they don't know a lot about them. Most people say they love sports, but they just love sort of the emotionality of sports. Mm -hmm. And I think that we will be able to bring to the listeners a a different perspective on both. So I'm really thankful that you took the time. Where are you located right now? If you'll tell me, are you, you're not in Canada right now, are you? No, we're in Hohokus, New Jersey. So this is Bergen County. I don't know how much you know the area. It's about 15 miles from Manhattan, and it's about 15 miles to Secaucus, New Jersey, which is where MLB Network is and NHL Network is, which is my primary source of income. So it's great, man. I don't know how much time you spent in Jersey, but it gets a bad rap. I think Jersey is a great place. I think a lot of people see the turnpike, and they have you know negative connotations perhaps from The Sopranos, which is the greatest show of all time. But I think if you're actually here, it's a beautiful area, wonderful schools, friendly people, and I love being closer to New York City and uh, – Works have been great. So I really so quite enjoy it. Coca loves Jersey. Yeah. Uh, he wants to move back to Jersey, lives, in, would love to live in Jersey, has lived in Jersey, has family in Jersey. Yeah. I went to synagogue at Temple Emmanuel in Tenafly, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Englewood. Yeah. My grandmother lived and grandparents lived in Tenafly. And I know Hohokus. And the reason I know Hohokus is that when I was a kid, in, uh, in, you know, I celebrate Hanukkah, yeah. but I always associated Hohokus. I thought when I was very, very little that you couldn't be Jewish and live in Hohokus <laughs> because of Ho-Ho as in Ho-Ho-Ho. That's what I knew of Santa Claus growing up. It was Ho-Ho-Ho. Yeah. So I thought that was my first experience with what I thought could have been some sort of inequality when I thought that I would not be permitted should I choose to relocate to Hohokus. Well, it's funny. When you hear the name, you merely think, like, this, this can't be true. Like, are you kidding? Whereas for me, I think it's like 20% of the reason why we, when we moved here. Like when I was talking to the MLB Network people, and I said, where should we live? And they said, well, what are you looking for? And I said, affordable housing, a uh, little diversity, and great public schools. I got four kids. They're like, uh, you're not going to get affordable housing. It's Jersey. That's gone. Diversity, Montclair has great diversity. You're 20 minutes from the city, but... The public schools are not very good. You have to go private schools. I'm like, I can't afford that. They go, all right, go look in this area, Ridgewood, uh, you know, Hohokus. And I said, wait, see that name again? They go, Hohokus. I go, okay, that's the one. I want to get that place. I don't care what it takes. We'll find the perfect house. It's the only place, David, in the country. I don't know if this is true or not, by the way. This may be propaganda, but they say it's the only place in the country, double hyphenated name, Ho-Ho-Cus. 
And uh, it's a wonderful little long clip. You mentioned Tenafly. We looked at Tenafly, which is very close, as you know, to Yankee Stadium. I said, oh, my God, I want to go to ball games. I'm right there in the Bronx. Uh, prominent Jewish community. There's a couple of people at work who are Jews, so I hope that clarifies that I'm not being anti-Semitic. They refer to it as Tel Aviv because of the fact there is such a strong Jewish population. Wow. <laughs> I've never heard that one. That's like a play on Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv, meaning that, that, like there's a lot of Jews in Tenafly. Yeah, that's my understanding. I don't even know. I can't even corroborate that, but that's what they say. And like you said, you went to uh, at least Saturday school there. So I'm sure there's lots of good people in the, the great city of Tenafly. That's funny. I've never called it Saturday school. I want to talk about MLB Network. MLB sure. Network started my first in the, in the early part of my career. I started in baseball for the 2000 season. And the first owners meeting I ever attended was the start of MLB.com. Yeah. And then MLB Network started and we were introduced to this concept of a network. And I had so many issues with MLB Network during my time as president because of our owner. Right. And I want to know, you work at MLB Network. Do you think about this every day? I was going to talk about this later in the show, Coco, but I got to do it right now. It's too interesting to me. Do you realize how many owners are watching you and waiting for you to criticize their team (laughs) so they can call the head of the network and say, I want that guy off the air right now? Well, it's a great point, David, you make in that, especially before we came to the 60 game season during these bizarre circumstances, when there's a very public spat between, you know, players and owners, we all know what was happening. One of my friends was texting me because I, you know, I go on Toronto radio, I go on Calgary radio, Vancouver radio, et cetera. And they're asking my opinion. And he said, you know, how cautious are you in being critical whatsoever of the commissioner or the owners? Because, you know, you work for major league baseball, your paycheck says MLB network. I said, Oh, Oh, I'm acutely aware. Trust me. Like if there's ever a feeling that I'm like, um, should I say this? Should I not say this? I'm like, let me check where my bread's buttered. But I initially asked our bosses, I said, hey, can you ever be critical? Like, I'm, I'm just curious here. Just tell me. If you, if you can't, that's fine. If this is state TV, let me know. They said, no, no, listen, you can be critical of rules you don't like. You can be critical of the way teams are run. But the word of the wise, don't ever make it personal. Don't ever mention the owner by name and say, I don't care for this person because of that. Because, then, you know, there's no reason for that. Naturally, you'd be upset if somebody took a shot at you. I said, no, of course. So I think it's a fine line at times. But honestly, I have found there's, there's a lack of censure. I, was, I, was, I wouldn't say worried about it, but I was aware of it going in. But I've never felt on the air. I can't say that because the Washington Nationals are going to be upset with me if I criticize the way that they let Anthony Rendon walk. Or, you know, this team doesn't spend enough money. The Angels don't spend enough money on pitching. Oh, I shouldn't be critical of Artie Moreno. I, I found that they've actually let you, they give you quite a bit of rope, at least for me. I, I guess it depends on the personality. I mean, Mad Dog Russo definitely uh, speaks his mind, as you know. Yeah, I will say this, that you may be in a unique position, but... When you say that you can be crit- that there's no censure, yeah. what's going on behind the scenes, there is censure discussed. Right. And that is something that I would be forced to make the call to, let's say, Tony Petiti, if, if Jeffrey wouldn't call first right. and say, can you imagine what this guy just said about this move or that move? And you mentioned nothing personal. Obviously, that's the name of the show you're on, that you're nice enough to do the sit down with us. Yeah. But for me, that's the key is you can never be personal. But the problem is every owner I've ever come across and Jeffrey's not unique in this. Every owner takes everything so personally that I, I, I have to think if you're going to be honest with me, which I know you will, yeah. it has to be in your head when the red light is on because that that's actually a term, an industry term. When the red light's on, that means right. the camera is hot. I'm just not telling you that, yeah. that the camera's hot, that the microphone's hot. It's got to be in your head working for MLD network. And if it's not, then you are on an Island. 
Yeah, I think what happens is, I'll give you an example. So I'm doing MLB now tomorrow. I'm filling in for Brian Kenny the next seven days. And, you know, we're going to talk about the, the non-tendering and arbitration, et cetera. And the way that, you, that I have found I can say it is when talk about, let's say the Chicago Cubs. And we had a couple of the analysts on, they go, hey, listen, the Cubs should spend, you know, keep all these guys, blah, blah. And I said, listen, if, if they were in a spend now mode, I think Theo Epstein would have stayed. Like, maybe I'm wrong, but I think he can read the tea leaves and go, okay, I've been here nine years. I haven't been able to re-up any of these guys, Rizzo, Schwarber, Bryant, um, and they're all going to be hitting the market here. So either I can preside over what could be a really messy situation in that, four, you know, Javier Baez could walk and we get nothing, or I have to trade Chris Bryant, make an unpopular trade. My contract may not get extended after this year, or I can just, you know, get out now. I'll leave the $10 million on the table, hand it over to my buddy Jed Hoyer, and say, okay, good luck to you. All the best. So that's an example of me speculating that Cubs ownership isn't necessarily in a buy-win mode. Now, I don't think that's being critical. It's, it's an informed guess. But if somebody's told me, hey, you know what? Actually, that's wrong. The Cubs are actually really looking to spend money, and they've got deeper pockets, and you realize they go, okay, fine. I'm just giving my opinion. What about with signings, though? So something that you're talking about, I think, is a perfect example of when the censure doesn't happen. Right. So when you're speculating, what we would then do running a team is we would call Petiti or someone else and say, okay, here's what was speculated on the, on the program. Just yeah. so you know, that's not the case. Make sure they get it right the next time. Sure. Or sometimes we'd purposefully mislead and say, this is the case, even when it wasn't, when it came to free agents and other things we were doing. But right. what about on the contract side? Let's say that uh, Chris Bryant is traded. Yeah. And you know for sure it is a straight money dump because we all know. Right. You've listened to it on nothing personal or you just know because you've been around the block. Straight money dump. Are you going to mm-hmm. say that? Yeah, I think a way I could phrase it is that the Cubs right now, I, w- I wouldn't say straight money dump. No, I would say I think the Cubs are not in a position right now where they're looking to add payroll. I think they look at this situation and say they've got four guys hitting the market. It's an untenable situation. I think they're going to resign all four of those guys. So they've got to make decisions. Of those four, pick two of them, whether it's Rizzo and Baez, whether it's Schwarber and Bryant, make your decision and go from there. So if they just dealt Chris Bryant away, I'd say this is a situation where they realize it's cost prohibitive. They figure they can get Carter Keyboom from the Nationals. The Nationals need to replace the third baseman for Rendon left, and we see what happens. I like that. You're good at your job. <laughs> it's I wouldn't total, go that far. <laughs> by the way, it's a total crock of crap, but it's really, that is, that's some good massaging. Yeah. I like that. That's what we're taught, right? When you're asked yeah. a question, you bridge to the answer you want to give, no matter what the question is. I was it about to say, like that's maybe the, David, that, that is the biggest thing ever. Never ask the question you're asked. Answer the question you wish that you were asked. Although Tim Kirch and Tommy early on, and Tim's great at this, by the way, because you think, oh, Tim never criticizes anybody. He's just a sweet, nice guy. But he'll never duck a question. Like, if you ever asked Tim a, a yes or no question, he will always answer that question. The only, the only time he ever told me he ever faced real controversy. Could you think Tim Kirchner in controversy? That sounds like a, that's anathema to who he is, was when he was doing the greatest numbers of all time and saying what the player was. So, you know, five is DiMaggio, three is Ruth, et cetera. 21, he said Warren Spawn. As you and I know, the winningest left-hander of all time, 363 wins, won a Cy Young, two-time All-Star. And he said the amount of vitriol he got, that people are like, how dare you? Nazi Roberto Clemente is the greatest 21 of all time. And Tim was like, the amount of heat and score that I took, I was like, but again, he did not duck the question. He didn't say, well, I can see how you'd pick Clemente. He said, no, no, I'm picking Warren Spawn because this, this, and this. I'm taking nothing away from Clemente. The question is, pick one, and I'm picking one, and I'm picking Spawn. Would you go into sports media again if you were starting your career today? Yeah, I love it. I, I've always loved it. I've always found it to be fun. I think it's adapted in a lot of ways I wouldn't have expected. I remember early on, you know, I, I adored Keith Oberman and I was always watching Keith and saying, you know, I, 
I just want to be at a desk and do the 11 p.m. Sports Center. That would be the best. And then once you get to ESPN, you know, I had several paths that I really was focused on, one of which was to host baseball tonight, one of which was to host Sports Center, and then perhaps host something like Sports Nation. I said, that's a fun show, right? Guys that give me sports and pop culture. And thankfully, baseball tonight, you know, an opening happened to, to open up. And as you and I know, there's no path for these things. Like they, they just hire you at ESPN and then you're in a pool and then hopefully things work out and hopefully you find an opening. And a lot of that is timing and luck. And Zebra Thume just happened to get bit by the play-by-play bug and wants to go be the voice of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And boom, we have a spot. And okay, I did a decent enough job and got along well with the analysts and, and away you go. But sports journalism, I've, I, it definitely changed. Like, I, as I said, I thought I would be at a desk I go into work at five o'clock, watch a bunch of games, do the one hour highlights, be home by 1230. That's not happened. Now you get to do reporting and play by play. And, and even the hosting position, you know, you have to offer more opinion. I thought very much early on, I was going to be very objective and just tee up the analyst, extract opinions. Now, no, we'd like you to offer opinions. You seem to have an idea of what's happening. Let's provoke conversation. Let's be more of a provocateur. So I think it's been fun to kind of adapt to it just as, as the viewership has adapted. There's more streaming. There's most social media and all the rest of it. Are you willing to give an opinion on something that you don't agree with or that you don't have just for the purpose of having an opinion and making it sort of interesting talk radio or interesting talk TV? Yeah, I mean, there's I would never want to be contrived and say, OK, uh, let's go through each of these. All right. Uh, Bauer worth whatever, three years, 100 million. Yes or no. Oh, I'm going to say yes. OK, you're going to say blah, 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 blah. But I do agree at the end of the day. Hey, man, it's good TV and it's not compelling if two people are always agreeing with each other. So if I if I have a strong opinion on it, I'd like to stick to my guns and say, listen, I really feel strongly about this. I'm not going to waver. But if I'm kind of in the middle on it and the other person feels very strongly, I'm willing to say, you know what? I can debate this topic the other way. And I kind of like the challenge of it. I don't think it's disingenuous. I think it's actually a challenge to say, hey, can you argue something and try to convince something which you yourself are not 100% convinced by. Like this will challenge your powers of persuasion. And as any debate, you and I know this, any topic in the world. I was going to say that. Did you do debate in high school? Absolutely. And I remember doing debates and saying, okay, capital punishment. All right. I think I'm anti-capital punishment, but let me just do a graph here and say, okay, what's pro, what's con? And let me figure out what's the better path. And Maybe sometimes challenge yourself, go the other way. Like I remember calling, I was like, okay, there's lots of reasons here that I can go for, but, but pro capital punishment, like, hmm, that's probably antithetical to the way I believe. Let's see if I can argue that though. This will be more interesting to do. So I, I always enjoyed debates. They were fun. I love that you're saying that because that is one of the greatest rushes I've ever had. And I, and I, I'm an adrenaline junkie. So I'm looking for rushes at all times that I can manufacture yeah. through whatever sort of achievements I can try. Mm-hmm. I love the uncertainty, the stomach ache that comes with the uncertainty when you are forced to take a position that you do not agree with and you've got to be convincing. And that is what debate is. You don't know if you're going to be on the pro side or the con side and you just have to do it. And anytime I'm in arguments or talking about sports or doing entertainment or movies, I like the fact that. I can be just as persuasive and that people enter and leave a conversation saying, wait a minute, what does he believe in again? What's his opinion? That means you're doing well. I like yeah. you're doing that, Burke. It's good. That means you're good at your job. <laughs> Thanks, David. I appreciate it. I remember years ago, Colin Coward didn't mean this as a criticism. He was talking to my buddy, Dan Stanton. He produced my podcast, Cinephile. He was so critical of my uh, doing that at ESPN. And Coward said, listen, I like Adnan, but like he's too nice. And Stanton goes, what do you mean? He goes, like on the radio, he goes, his positive qualities come across, which is that he's likable. He's a nice guy. He clearly likes sports. He likes movies. He goes, but you got to have an edge. He goes like, look at Limbaugh. Look at Bill O'Reilly. Like you got to have an edge. And Stancic, I think correctly said, listen, I don't, this expression is not great, but there's more than one way to skin a cat. Meaning 
Whatever he's done to get to this point, he's been successful. Now, Colin, you're right. He could probably be better if he had an edge to him, if he was more outspoken, if every topic you had something strong to say. But that's where, that's where I think there's that fine line between, okay, you're going to be completely inauthentic and just scream things you don't believe or be measured as you probably are, but at times push things a little further than you would like to. And I think you and I agree with that, especially with movies, that there's times that there's movies that I'm like, yeah, I think it was okay. But you know what? I'll push a little harder and be critical of it just to generate a stronger reaction. And while, by the way, in the, in the, in the basis of defending your opinion, you do convince yourself. I'll give you an example. So Ozark is a show everyone kept talking about, right? And I watched the show a couple of years ago and I said, okay, it really didn't do it for me. I was like, that's fine. And so during the pandemic, everyone's like, oh, Ozark is so good. Oh, third season's out. And I said, all right, my wife and I'll give it a try again. And David, I didn't enjoy it. And, and I'm just thinking it's fine. Like I, to me, my Maple Leaf scale, four Maple Leafs is a great film. One is obviously a putrid one. I was given Ozark two Maple Leafs, right? I just said it's derivative. That was my biggest criticism. I said, I just, I've seen better stories about families dealing with drugs. I'll just watch Breaking Bad again if this is what I'm looking for. But fine, if people are into this, whatever. So I'm probably in the middle, right? But once I criticized it, people started to come at me. Oh, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a moron. Okay, so now, now I really get angry. Well, you know what? I think Bateman's miscast. I think he's a great actor, but God, I don't blame him for a second in this role. And after a while, it's just the same character every single time, rolling up the sleeves, same hairstyle, Jason Bateman trying to work his way out of it. Laura Linney's great, but a little bit melodramatic. Okay, I've seen these ticks before. So in the midst of people coming at me, you end up making a stronger opinion and a stronger take. It ends up I can't believe how much you hated Ozark. I'm like, I never said I hated it. But when people came at me, then I had to defend myself. Don't you come at me. Did you see Bad Words with Jason Bateman? I love that movie. He's great. Yeah, in that. And I love because he directed that too. So yes, you can tell did. he cared more about that movie. Especially that opening line I love when he said uh, something about those pillows. Because I don't know, the dialogue in there is so good. There's a slow motion sequence. Him and the South Asian kids start running around together. I thought that was good because that was a play on, hey, nice guy, straight guy, Bateman. It showed that he has an edge to him and he can be funny in a wicked way. So I tell everyone to watch that because people do view Jason Bateman as sort of the guy from uh, Couples Retreat and Ozark and where he's trying to be bad and dark and that he really isn't good at being that. And I say, well, wait a minute, go watch Bad Words because it is an absolutely brilliant performance that actually showed his range, not just as a director, but as an actor. I thought it gave him more range than even Ozark did for his career. But uh, I did like Ozark. I actually... Uh, I am a big Laura Linney fan, having yeah. nothing to do with love, actually, just having to do with her. Oh, actually, listen, I, The Savages you, you, was one of the The Savages, films. You Can Count on Me, Kinsey. I mean, she's been a great actress. Those, those indie movies she made like 90s, early 2000s. Fantastic. Do you remember her in Dave? People don't I, remember her I in Dave. I don't remember her in Dave. I remember Kevin Klein, the movie. I don't really remember her. So it, no. she was the woman who worked in the Oval Office who had sex with the president, had the affair with the president <laughs> before he died and Kevin Klein playing the president turned into Kevin Klein, the, I don't know what you'd call him, the impersonator. <laughs> Laura Linney was that actress. I love when you go back and see these actors and go, oh my God, I can't believe Laura Linney was in that. Like when, when I saw the Truman Show, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, Laura Linney. Of course she's in yep. the Truman Show. Like Giamatti, I mean, Giamatti's one of my favorite actors. So whenever I see him, I go, he's the guy saying, what's forget about it mean in Donnie Brasco. You know, he's got so many of those small roles. Everyone remembers, sorry, pig vomit, but he had lots of little tiny roles along the way that made him Paul Giamatti before he was Paul Giamatti in American Splendor and Sideways and all the other great stuff he's done. I use Sideways, by the way, Virk, as uh, an example of how movies can actually affect business. And I don't mean through ticket sales. It is well known that sales of Merlot tanked (laughs) after the movie Sideways came out. Like this is this is an economic fact. And I've spoken with 
people who run wineries about this because I couldn't believe it. Do yeah. people really? And I was one of them. There was a, a big time and it's lasted till today. So actually it never ended. I will not drink Merlot. That's hilarious. I mean, that line was so funny. Giamatti says to this day, that's the line that most people repeat to him. And it, at this point, it's definitely become old. He's like, like, what am I supposed to say to this? But he goes, I'll be in an airplane. People will come up to me. I'm not drinking any effing Marlowe. I'm like, that. I just thought the chemistry with him and Thomas Hayden Church was so mm-hmm. well done. I mean, I'm sure you, like me, I'm a big Alexander Payne fan. His movies are so smart and so well written. And I thought that they really nailed that. What I do find funny is this, and I love Sideways, but I have friends who didn't like it. And their reasoning was, they go, all these critics that loved it, it's because they are Giamatti. They are failed novelists who are not in love and they're pining for the woman that got away because they saw themselves in that movie. That's why it got 99% Rotten Tomatoes. And I said, all right, maybe there's something to that, but I think a lot of people can relate to that character. And uh, this scene where he sees his ex-wife at the end and she tells him that he's pregnant. I mean, the heartache in his face. And then he goes and opens up that wine, that burger joint, and he's drinking on the cup. I'm like, that's, that is brilliant. His, 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 Wasn't his she the lover from, uh, from Seinfeld or from Friends? Yeah, she's from I Friends. Think she's right. the, the <laughs> yeah. lover of Ross's, the mother of Ross's kid or something. right. Yeah, so the, the, what I'm more like Thomas Hayden Church. I'm the guy going oh. naked five clicks, knocking on the door, saying, hey, damn right that was five clicks. <laughs> when Sandra O oh takes the bike helmet to his face, it's not, I'm like, oh, my God. Was not, he's, like, he's like Nicholson in Chinatown. He's got the big nose bandage. I go, that's what I told somebody. They go, what? I go, that's the best use of a nose bandage since Nicholson and Polanski's Chinatown. Hey, what does this look like to you? What does this look like to you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I could go all day, by the way. On, oh, on by the way, well, another underrated line is when Giamatti says, can I get that new copy? Can I get the copy of Barely Legal? The guy goes to and he goes, no, no, the new one. <laughs> what a line. By the way, that doesn't translate anymore. I was just talking about porn with somebody recently and uh, how it's changed when talk about changing industries right in my day and i don't know how you're young are you in your 30s uh 42 now but i appreciate that you look Samson. great man. Oh, thank you buddy i appreciate that so i'm 52 and wow you look good for 52 man hey that's nice mutual admiration society uh, you I are agree. a member but dude, you have all your hair no wrinkles go ahead i do i actually this is my hair i don't color it i'm not going to do any of that i'm not going to get any work done I'm not going to, I may go Nicole Kidman from The Undoing and wear a <laughs> scarf all the time around my neck as part of the costume design. Yeah. I may do that one day or just put the microphone right here if you're watching this on the YouTube channel. Thank you. But if you're listening, the microphone is pretty much in the neck because that's an area that I've noticed tends to um, not be as uh, snapback as it used to be. Okay. Well, I mean, listen, we all have be our, ready for that. No, start wearing uh, what is it? A cravat? Is that the word that's used? Yes. Perhaps an ascot, something along that's those lines. French for tie. I use my uh, I use my uh, um, buff on Survivor as an yeah. ascot. That's how I did it to look exactly <laughs> like uh, Charles. What's the guy from Gilligan's Island? The, uh, oh the, yeah, yeah. The, the, the I can't remember. Okay, I got to go back to ESPN because you mentioned ESPN and how sure. that was your dream. I think people who know you, Virk, and we know you, we love you. Obviously, things did not work at ESPN, except they did professionally. Something happened. You were let go. I want to talk about the concept here very quickly. Sure. What happened is that you were, and whether you acknowledged it, what your sort of agreement is with them, the reality is that they perceived that you gave information that you had by working at ESPN. No way Mm -hmm. to segue this, Coca. Stop yelling at me. There's no way to segue from movie lines (laughs) to this. There's no way to do it. Just wipe it clean or something. So 
ESPN, you apparently you had some information that you gave to someone else, whether it was purposefully or not, is not relevant to most companies. Yeah. And they found out and they terminated your contract. You ended up, you have a career, you have a great career, yeah. and it ended up maybe working out for you better than you ever could have thought that day. Can you bring me back? Uh, because I've had to deal with this issue a lot. Can you bring me back to the moment when you realized you were about to get a call? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was terrifying, man. I mean, I, 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 I empathize with so many people they've gone through this year having to lose employment or having just a loss of uh, wages. I mean, whether you're terminated from your contract, whether you're just laid off, whether you, whatever the circumstances are, there's no question that's very, very challenging. I, I often think of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is one of my favorite movies. Uh, when Jack Lemmon says, you know, a man is his work. And he tells Kevin Spacey, you know, you're effed at yours because he's so mad at him. But I, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, it, it, people see their identities in, the, in themselves through their jobs. And listen, I, I've never been to that extent. Of course, I always pride myself, my wife, my kids, my family, et cetera. But there's no question working at ESPN was a huge uh, source of pride for me. I loved all the people I worked with. And, and like I said, there's, there's great joy in having a job that a lot of people would, would kill for and emulate, admire, and so on. So when you start to see a job like that falling apart, it, it, was, it was heartbreaking in many ways. And it was, it was scary and it was frustrating. It was sad and, and uh, all those emotions. And I think that, that, that essence, you know, those moments are kind of moments that are, and I know it's hard to say now, but it's, it's beneficial because it makes you acutely aware of just how sideways things can get. And as you point out, even when you don't have malicious intent, even when things can be done through negligence or sloppiness, whatever, you know, ultimately verdicts are rendered uh, and it's not your decision. It's their company. They can do what they want. And you've just got to handle that situation as best as you can. It ends up being a lot of cliches and, you know, the, the storm doesn't last forever. There's always a rainbow after a storm and be grateful for what you have rather than what you don't have. You know, ignore the setbacks, focus on the comebacks. But you're asking specifically at that moment. It was very, very tough. Do you believe when you when you tell a story to your kids one day, yeah. are you going to use the word self-inflicted? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, you know what? I, I don't know if I'd use that term, but I would say um, I, I should have been smarter about the situation, that I, I used poor judgment. And, you know, I would disagree that I deserved to be contract terminated, but I, but I should have been smarter about the situation. And so, yeah, I think... I don't know if I would use self-inflicted, but yeah, I think that would be appropriate when I looked at the situation, especially like you said, if it's a teaching moment and I'm talking to my kids about it. Cause you know, it, it sounds simple, but if someone says to you, listen, to, to do well at your job, just it's like acting, right? James Cagney told Michael J. Fox years ago, just be on time, know your lines and don't bump into the furniture. And if I follow those three rules, I'm not gonna have any issues. It's when things go sideways that all of a sudden, <laughs> forgive the use of sideways, but that's when problems can arise. So I, I think, yeah, I would say to my kids, listen, be smart about things, use proper judgment, you know, just take a breath. It's okay. Like figure out what the right decision is. And you know, you should always know what the right decision is. So what's strange is, and you'll find this, my kids are a little older, but uh, when they get old enough to Google you, yeah. uh, The questions will come. And I've had, I mean, I started when my kids, I got into baseball and became really public when I had kids who were four and one and then an unborn child. And the year we won the world series, then the kids were eight five and zero or you know, oh, three, three sure. months old. Yeah, yeah. And since 2003, obviously there's been a lot of stuff written and said and uh, mm-hmm. about me. And I will tell you that uh, the questions come and how you answer them is critical because there are parents and many of them who will purposefully mislead their kids or mischaracterize the situation and pass blame on another party or another person in order to not look as though as a parent that they have warts. 
And I have found, and I'm not preaching to you, I'm just saying that your answer was so interesting to me because it's okay for your kids to know because guess what? They're going to know eventually, like we all do about our parents. That day when you realize that your parents aren't perfect, that day happens. And if you can control that narrative and own it, it may be to a benefit. So when I said self-inflicted, I don't want you to be offended by that. Sure. What I meant by that is that is the ultimate teaching moment, right? You were, were in, in theory, the job of your dreams. Mm-hmm. You took an action. That action resulted in the termination of that job. And then the teaching moment is, here's what I did. Here was the consequence. But guess what I did next? And yeah. that's been your story since then. And it's been an amazing story. Yeah. No, I appreciate you saying that, man. That's very kind of you saying it. And I agree with you. I think that kids, they're a lot smarter than we realize, right? They, they can see through things and that they, they recognize, you know, strength comes through adversity. And, and anybody who would never admit their flaws or show any sort of weakness, particularly when talking to your children, they're just not doing it right. Like I would think, because then if my kids thought I was some sort of Superman that never made mistakes, well, then when they would make a mistake, they would think, oh my God, I'm such a hopeless human being. I've let down my father who's never had an issue. Whereas if they say, oh, okay, dad's made mistakes before, but look how he bounced back or that was a learning experience. Okay, well, you know what? Unfortunately, I have suffered a setback, but just like my dad, I can bounce back from it. So I, I agree with you. I think that there's, there's real honesty in that. There's real integrity in that. You know, Real character is overcoming it. What do they say? Adversity reveals character. I mean, that's, that's really kind of shows you what you are about. And I think particularly for me, relying with faith and family and friends and, and having that. I mean, there, there's no question I had a strong structure around me. I think if I was on my own and that happened, it used to be, it'd be a lot harder. But when you have a supportive wife, loving kids and all the rest of it, and obviously great parents and great friends, it, it was a lot easier. Well, uh, you moved on to the zone. What, what, Coca? Yes. Oh, sorry. I got to tell you, Virk. You yeah. have now used as a guest. Congratulations. We have a parting gift. You've used more cliches than any other guest. <laughs> We've been keeping count and you just passed it on the last one with adversity. Yeah, I figured that it was going to be the one after every storm, there's a rainbow. But I, I wasn't sure. I figured I doubled down and add you a couple more just to make sure I'm over the finish line. You, you're trying to do like the Cal Ripken consecutive game streak. You don't, you don't <laughs> want to ever be touched, right? Well, we yeah. got a few more subjects and you'll be able to easily, easily build on your record. <laughs> I want to talk about zone a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it, they are uh, after Jeter fired me in 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that's when zone had just made the deal or we're going to make, they were about to make the deal with MLB. Yeah. And so I had the opportunity to speak to John and to speak to Jamie at that time, who was mm-hmm. not uh, full-time there yet, but he was helping John. And now he was, he started doing it full-time and mm-hmm. talked about the concept of what they ended up getting from MLB, which was this red zone channel type concept. And I had some questions about how it would work. Tell me what, where is your head in terms of what, that product is and whether you not whether or not you think that baseball has a chance with that. And I ask you as a former executive where we spent years of our lives in owners meetings trying to copy the NFL, trying to make our draft better, trying to make our offseason better, trying to make everything better. And this was another big thing for MLB to try to figure out sort of the Sunday ticket concept. Where's your head on that? Yeah, listen, I'm so grateful to John and Jamie. First of all, I had a great relationship with them while we were at ESPN. And after I was let go by ESPN, you know, they, they immediately swooped in and, and they could not have been more gracious. I'll never forget uh, how kind Jamie was when I, I met with him afterwards, uh, back when you could actually meet with somebody in a restaurant and not wear a mask. And he was great. He was, he was so complimentary and effusive and uh, honest. He just said, listen, tell me what happened. I want to go through it beat by beat. And then we're going to talk about stuff. And 
I told him everything. He was like, okay, got it. Um, <laughs> I think you're great. We've always got along well. Here's the job. It's yours. Like, well, I'm not going to go through any sort of song and dance. There's no audition process. There's no proof to me you can do this. Like, I know you love baseball. I know you're a great broadcaster. I know you're a great guy. So if you want to do this, let's do this. I really think that there's a lot of potential here. So I'll never forget that conversation and just how kind Jimmy was to me. Uh, and to John Skipper, this is, he's the best boss I've ever had. I mean, when I was at ESPN, he was a real advocate for me, was very supportive, open door policy. He's great to talk movies with. I'll never forget, we started talking about Dunkirk. And he said, oh, you're one of the few that will appreciate this. I found it rather Altman-esque. And I said, that's very good, interesting. Cross-cutting, overlapping dialogue. I'm like, uh, John, I read a lot of movie reviews. I did not see any critic mentioning Altman-esque in reference to Nolan's war epic. Uh, he loves Lawrence of Arabia. You know, we, we like to talk about a lot of old movies like that. And obviously, he's very learned, very literate. You know, he loves uh, Faulkner and all the rest of that kind of Southern literature. But John and Jamie, like I said, both great bosses, smart guys. They know their stuff. When it comes to zone, I think in many ways, it's kind of where the future of broadcasting, I think, lies. I'm not going to be one of those people who says cable's dead. I still have cable. I love cable. I, I, I'm a guy who still watches it, so I enjoy it. But I think there's going to be, you know, a gradual shift towards more direct streaming platforms, et cetera. So I think DAZN is, is at the forefront of the, yeah, there's, there's your cord cutters right there. You should see the amount of mockery I get from people like, you still have cable? Like, really? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> cord cutters are coming for me. I just had a cable guy today. That's yeah. why I'm laughing because <laughs> I also refuse to use my scissors to cut the cord. Oh, yeah, I love it. I'm just, listen, I'm old school that way. So I think DAZN is great in that they recognize this is the forefront, but it's going to take time, right? People just don't obviously change their habits as you and I are clearly uh, proof of. So it takes time to say, all right, I'm paying for a service and then I'm going to get individual sports and it's going to be done different. It's on my phone. It's on the, okay, different. Like it's, it's definitely targeting a younger millennial audience, which as you know, is what advertisers covet. But I think they've obviously got deep pockets. The best thing I can say about DAZN is they've done really well internationally. I mean, as you know, in Japan, they've done great because they got the domestic baseball rights there. They paid billions of dollars to the Bundesliga in Germany. They've done really well in England. Uh, which is very popular with boxing. Of course, boxing is a global enterprise. They have everywhere. So I think they've been very smart and strategic in saying, okay, we're really good in these properties by acquiring these sports. Now, how do we tackle America beyond boxing, which I think they've clearly have shown a very strong passion for Canelo Alvarez, Triple G, Anthony Joshua, et cetera. So I, I, I guess my reaction to that is that people's habits with baseball, the biggest concern inside baseball is that our demographics I said our Coca, that's a dollar fine, that the demographics of baseball continue to get older. And there was a big focus on trying to reverse that. And I think that MLB's view, and I don't think I know, was that doing this deal with the zone would be an opportunity to reverse the trend where your clients are aging every year and then eventually die. Right. And that's actually how businesses end. Right. You're, yeah. you, if you if your clients keep getting older, that's you, you have to regenerate the pipeline. And so the thought was the zone would do that. And I think the the struggle that MLB had is that, number one, owners couldn't understand the concept. So it was a very difficult conversation with a preponderance of the owners mm. who it's not about cord cutting. It's about how they actually engage in platforms, which is with a remote control and a 85 inch television. Mm-hmm. And it's their understanding and knowledge of the technology. And there was always that fighting with Bob Bowman when he was running MLB.com back in the day mm-hmm. and, and with Tony about things he wanted to do with the network that owners were just hesitant. So I think to zone, I'm, I am absolutely buying to zone. Mm-hmm. I'm a subscriber. I love it. It's a very interesting service to me, but it's much bigger internationally. And yeah. that's also not helpful to the owners because no one, their, their landscapers aren't talking to them about to zone yet. Yeah. And that's how actually a lot of them 
have their ear to the ground with quote unquote normal people, right? Is yeah. what are people talking about or doing? And so I think that it's just starting. So you, you getting in uh, now, um, are you going to keep doing that along with MLB network? Yeah, that's my plan for right now. I'm, I'm full-time in the MLB network. Obviously I, that's my job, uh, you know, salaried benefits, all the rest of it, which they also own NHL network, which as a Canadian has been a lot of fun. I got to host the NHL draft, which was a last second assignment. But I had a blast being able to do that. It was something really different. I think anyone who's ever hosted a draft, whether it's Trey Wingo or Reese Davis or Greg Amsinger knows uh, what a challenge it is and how much fun that is. So that's been great. And DAZN, yeah, I'm doing an NFL show right now for DAZN. Uh, DAZN has NFL rights in Canada. So I'm doing a show for DAZN, which is actually broadcast on Yahoo in Canada. It's in partnership with DAZN. So the one nice thing is I'm able to work at home. So I've been doing that for DAZN. And we got a, a show called The Rookie Diaries, which we talked to Chase Claypool, who is obviously Canadian, having a great year with the Steelers, um, do stuff like that. I went to the Super Bowl last year for DAZN. was able to cover that. So I, I agree with your point. They've got a stronger uh, hold internationally, but it's helped me because being Canadian, obviously Canada is international. And, and in Canada, they've got NFL rights. They've got soccer rights. EPL does very well in Canada because it's a very diverse ethnic group, particularly in cities like Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal. So uh, I've, been, I've been having fun doing it, man. It's, it's funny. At ESPN, they, they own you, right? You're doing ESPN. That's it. It's radio. It's Mike and Mike. It's Rosillo. It's baseball tonight. It's college football, college basketball. Now, when you get to kind of have ownership, it's a little different. It's MLB Network, NHL Network. It's DAZN. It's Cinephile. It's GM Shuffle. My NFL podcast is doing great. So uh, it's been really fun. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You've definitely diversified. We got to talk about movies before this ends because sure. it's my favorite subject. Do you carry around your top 100 list? So funny. So of all the messages I got, Billy was the one who said he actually has a top 100 list. And I said, okay, well, like when people say they're a big movie guy, like does he want to talk about booty call or is he talking about Parasite? Like I just need to know it's a rather wide gulf when we're talking movie people. Like is he, is he tangoing cash to God or is he Scorsese like me? And he said, well, he carries around and is constantly revising his top 100 list. I said, that is tremendous because I remember I haven't done it in a long time, but maybe you've sparked me to do it again. When I was maybe 15, I was always doing it because that was the age where I really started to watch the masters. And I said, okay, the, what I would do is I'm sure you were the same way. I'd see. So I obviously adore Scorsese. So I'd say, okay, Marty was very influenced by Federico Fellini. Let me go find this Fellini guy. I'd go to the library and my dad's an avid reader, voracious reader, but I, of course, love movies. VHS tapes, I think it was like 50 cents. So I'm like, all right, let me watch three movies of each great director and see if they're for me. So Marty loves Fellini. Okay, I'm going to watch La Dolce Vita, Eight and a Half, and, you know, La Strada. Okay, those are the three that I'm going to like. And if I like it, I'll watch more of these. And I'll watch Clowns, which is a great documentary Fellini did. As you know, he loves clowns, et cetera. 
Kurosawa. Okay, I'll watch Kurosawa's movies. Hey, I love Ikiro. I think it's underrated. Obviously, Seven Samurai is legendary. Rashomon's great. Let me watch some more. All right, Bergman, not as crazy about it. Okay, I, I get it. Okay, I watched Seven Seal. I watched Cries and Whispers. Just not for me, though. Truffaut, again, I got it. Great freeze frame, 400 blows. Understand, just not for me. I, I prefer Godard. Let me watch more Godard. So I haven't done one of those lists in a long time, but I'm often asked, what are your favorite movies? And I'm sure you, like me, say, it's very, it's too hard to pick just one. You got to give me the genre, give me the scope of it. I, I find it impossible, but I, I like to That's do it. That's a cop out, Merck. I'm not accepting that answer. <laughs> well, you can't say I'll, that there's too many. You have to have, I do. So I've always had a top 100 list. Yeah. I've actually released it and gone through it. People actually, Coca, that reminds me, people yeah. want to find a way to have it posted somewhere. And I don't know how to do that, Coca. Anyway, so I'll I give you the top it. five them before you call me a cop. Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Godfather One, Godfather Two. So that's your top five. Yeah, I'll give you the next five if you want. Probably I got to get a Fellini. So probably eight and a half. I, I got to get Ikira. Like I said, it's a very underrated Kurosawa movie. I think those are okay. Glengarry Glen Ross because I love Mammoth. There's eight. Uh, I got to get a comedy. So Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. That's nine. Um, this is an unacceptable and, way and to I'll, do this. And I'll, and I'll go. There will be blood. There will be blood at number 10. There you go. That's a, by the way, that's a great movie. I was just talking about that with Coco, who hated it. Well, listen, I, I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. I, I'm so disgusted with Coco. Like when people tell me they don't like there will be blood, it offends me. I think it is a brilliant movie at all levels. The fact the first 10 minutes is a guy digging, just mining for gold. He's so single minded. That character is such a wonderful creation. I look at people and I see nothing worth liking. I mean, that's one of the great misanthropes ever in cinema. I would like you to take the time because what you just did is not what a cinephile can do. You <laughs> cannot come up with the top 10 so willingly. You just said, just so, by the way, this is unedited. This will be released exactly yeah. as is. You said, oh, I need a comedy, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. You can't it is my that. favorite comedy, though. No, 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 but you have to, are you looking at a list? Are you no. going back every year to look at movies released every year for the past 30 years? Because I promise you that stuff will come up that you will not believe. By the way, that is your alarm. Is that no, your fine. subtle way to no, say, fine. oh, my God, I got no, we're something? Gonna, we're going to go until I get the phone call. That top five I'm sticking with, by the way. If you want to argue the rest of them, fine. But my top five I still feel strongly about. Just promise me you will take the time. This is not a one-day job. By the yeah. way, during COVID, what the hell have you've been doing well, why I, would you not have done this during covid but who cares about this list like i'm putting out a podcast every week nobody's saying hey i love the podcast thanks for your review of embattled the new Stephen dorf movie i'm just curious what is your ranking of movies 50 to 60 all time like there's no desire for this Oh, I disagree because I, oh, I review a movie every day on Nothing Personal or a TV show, and right. I get tons of people coming at me on Twitter or wherever else saying, yeah. hey, where's your list? Hey, do you suggest this? Hey, I've got a suggestion for you. I've gotten a ton of things suggested by listeners. No, I get suggestions, I and I get people agreeing or disagreeing, but I don't often get, hey, give me your greatest Westerns of all time. No one's asking for a list. That's a good one. I don't do it. I, it's funny. You want to make a list? Now, that would be another project, Top 10 by Genre. I, I've, listen, I've I, I'm that. more inclined to do that. I'll, I'll be, the top 100, I mean, if you want me to do it, I'll try to do it, but I'm it's more hard. inclined to go by genre. Um, is the sure thing in your top 100? No. Have you ever heard of the sure thing? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. So one of the issues that I have is that there are movies, I, I hope that your list is not the top 100 best movies ever made according to critics. It's right. got to be your favorite 100 movies. That's the yes. point of it. I completely agree. It has to be something personal. There's one thing about movies that are always personal, and that's why it's such a subjective medium. Like people will get furious with you and say, How could you not include Buster Keaton? You're not top 100 list. We'll go, Well, because it's just Buster Keaton movies don't do it for me. I recognize he's a critical figure. Like if you want to go by that rationale, I agree. Then all of a sudden you've got to get 
you know, Eisenstein's Battleship Potemkin in. Because listen, if you're looking at the critical era of film, Edwin Porter, Great Train Robbery, et cetera, you're going to go, no, no, listen, I don't care about that stuff. I'm putting Coming to America in my top 10 because it makes me feel a certain way. More than anything, I love what Roger Ebert once said, which is that movies are a vessel for empathy. I think that's, that's a really smart way of putting it. I actually do. Do you read reviews before you watch movies? So I used to be an avid reader reviews, particularly critics that I love. So I, I really liked Ebert. Jeff Pavir is a critic I loved for the Toronto Star. He gave up film criticism years ago. I've been lost ever since. I like Ty Burr, the Boston Globe. I like Owen Gleiberman, used to be Entertainment Weekly, now Variety. But I don't often now until after I see the movie. Before I used to read a couple of reviews, then watch the movie, and then I go, no, this is actually impacting me. And I'll give you a recent example, a Hillbilly Elegy. I just, I just saw just the Rotten, that. I just saw the Rotten Tomato score, and I like, loved the book, Samson. I go, oh, J.D. Vance, great memoir. I can't wait to write. And I go, oh, my God, 26%. Apparently, it sucks. And I said, but you can't do that. Now, all of a sudden, you're already predisposed to think it's a crap fest from Ron Howard. It's melodramatic. And it is all those things for the record. But I wish I'd rather watch it on my own rather than being pushed that way by an arbitrary number on Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm reviewing, or I guess, Coco, we're giving away when this was recorded. But I'm reviewing. Who cares? We're not curing cancer here. I wish we were. <laughs> um, I am reviewing Hillside, Hillbilly Elegy to, on tomorrow's show. Okay. And uh, Ron Howard is one of my favorite filmmakers. Sure. And uh, he is, he's just, he's brilliant in a lot of ways. Amy Adams is one of my favorite actresses. So is Glenn Close for all myriad reasons. And uh, just a little, they didn't get it right. They no, just didn't get it right. And that is extremely disappointing. And I agree with you. That's a really strong collection of talent. I mean, Glenn Close, seven Oscar nominations. She's never going to win. We thought for the wife, she'd finally break through. I'm like, no, nope, not going to happen. Amy Adams, I agree. She's got great diversity of talent, even in films I don't care for, like American Hustle. I still think she's a strong actress. And Ron Howard, I'm probably not as enamored of you as a filmmaker. I mean, I, I like his work. It's not my personal favorites, but I, I like Cinderella Man. I like The Beautiful Mind. I just love Arrested Development. The fact he was the narrator for that alone, I will always be a Ron Howard fan. Not for Happy Days? Uh, again, before my time, it's fine. I mean, I, I appreciate that. I, 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 back to your point about movies. I appreciate its, its uh, place in TV history, but it's not a show that I'm constantly reading. Or the Andy Griffith show? No, Nothing. again, I'm not, I, just, I just like the music of Andy Griffith show. That's it. I like the whistling. That's all I can take. <laughs> By the way, you're a step ahead. Most people don't even know what the Andy Griffith show is. Forget the whistling. That just shows that you're sort of old, yes. but you want to be young. Well, Neil Everett used to always say to me, I would work with me, go, how old are you? He said, God, because one time I referenced Marathon Man, and I said, it was, it was a long tennis match, and I said, Marathon Man, not Dustin Hoffman, but whatever the tennis player was. And Neil Everett goes, how old are you? Like, what, what is that? That's in the 70s. You weren't even born then. I said, no, but 70s movies are the best, Neil. And he said, I, I appreciate the fact you're watching Serpico, but I, I was 13 when it came out. You weren't even born. But I said, listen, just because I wasn't alive when Beethoven was playing music, I'm aware of greatness. So I, I agree with you. My references generally play old. Uh, I like your references. I've enjoyed this, Virk. I don't want to let you go, but I know that you've been very generous with your time. I want to thank you because uh, on these Samson sit-downs, it's we try to be entertaining, obviously, and I sure. think this was. But your willingness to talk about your your past, your present, your future, most people shy away, and uh, I thank you for not doing that. And I please, not that I'm going to ask you to come back on the show because we're not doing repeat guests. <laughs> it's not because you sucked. But I would like you to somehow get me your top 100 list in the next 12 months. Can that be like a New Year's oh, resolution yeah, yeah, for 2021? I was going to say, you give me 12 months. I could definitely get that done. I, I like that you care about this as much. Because, listen, back in the day, I, I wish it, what's more entertaining for you and I both is if I got you my top 20 list when I was 15. Because like, The Untouchables was number six. Now, I like The Untouchables a lot. But that's not the sixth greatest movie of all time. But it was a very arbitrary list. But you get to list. change it. 
right? That's, That's the beauty of your top 100. That's why I carry mine around because when I see a movie, I yeah. may want it in and out or in or out, or I'll go back and I'll say, wow, I've got, you know, hot dog the movie in my top 100 <laughs> because of Shannon Tweed, who wouldn't have that in their top 100, but I'm going to remove that. Currently. I want to know. And listen, I, now, because I want to see the full 100. I don't want to just get a sneak peek, but I want to know, can you give me this? Can you give me what's your most controversial selection, at least in the top 20, top 30? One that someone like me, a cinephile would go, oh my God, what's Samson drinking? Well, my, my first, my number one, one, two, and three are always controversial and I'll never understand why. Number, number three is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. The brilliance wow. of that movie um, on, on so many different levels just hit me. Number two is a movie by Lawrence Kasdan called Grand Canyon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Kevin Klein, Danny Glover. Kevin sure. Klein, Steve Martin, yeah. Danny Glover. Yeah. That movie, it's philosophy. And I love Lawrence Kasdan from Big Chill, but Grand Canyon, I, my whole life is based on what I learned in the movies, which is a line from that movie. And yeah. the greatest movie I ever saw was a movie directed by Peter Weir, who directed Witness, Witness but it's, it's called Fearless with Jeff Bridges. Oh, yeah, I and love Isabella Fearless. Rossellini and uh, Rosie Perez and John Turturro and Tom Hulse. Oh, yeah. And I've always been impacted by plane crashes. Uh, I've always been impacted by people who believe that they are um, immortal. And I've always, that movie just hit me in a way that when I watch it, I realize that for that hour and 54 minutes, I am not David Sampson. I am in that movie. And it's rare that that happens. That's been my number one movie for really 25 years. So quick story we can end with Ben. I've covered the Oscars twice. It was because of my great friend, Ben Lyons. He's unbelievable. He put in a word for me. Listen, get my buddy Verk here. We worked for the Academy. We did a live stream on Oscar.com for two years. I still can't believe it ever happened. But the first year, I, I swear to God, that, that people were looking around like, who is this vagrant? Even though I was wearing a tuxedo, I clearly did not fit in. And I'm just wandering around the red carpet. Okay, you've got the sea of photographers and paparazzi. You've got Ben, who's doing his professional job interviewing celebrities who are being brought up to him. And I'm just wandering around long. And Jeff Bridges walks by. I just went up to him like, hey, Jeff, how you doing? Hey, how are you? And I go, I just wanted to tell you. Everyone always mentions The Big Lebowski, but I love the movie Fearless. I thought you were brilliant in that movie. And he goes, oh, that's, that's nice of you to say. That's one of my favorites, too. And there's video of me. I don't, I'd have to find the clip. But, but on Kimmel, Guillermo was doing his thing. And in the background, you can see people. And my buddy texts me. He goes, holy, I just saw you in the background talking to Jeff Bridges. I was like, yes. And I was specifically talking about Fearless. And he said, Samson, oh, that's one of my favorites, too. That actually makes me happy when I've met actors and I love movies they're in and they don't yeah. like them. That always impacted me. I, I want to tell you, sorry, Coca, a quick Alan Alda story, <laughs> who is my favorite actor because Mash is my favorite show. Loved I him in the meet, aviator. Yeah, I got to, he's been in everything, West Wing, yeah. everything. I got to meet him and I asked him about an episode of Mash. That's my all time favorite out of all 250 episodes. And he sure. said to me, David, I must tell you, I don't remember that episode. Oh, no. Crushing. I was that crushed. That's awful. That's awful. You're and like, now this I has get changed it, right? my life. This is so it, impactful. Right? He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Samson. Get Can out of here. Can you believe that? <laughs> but guy. now I get it, right? Imagine if someone asked you about a pod you did, you oh. know, six months ago. Yeah. I, can't re- I can't remember. Coca laughs. I can't remember what we talked about yesterday. I just love the fact, though, that you and I exist, right? Because there's this Venn diagram of, like, uber nerd movie people and baseball people. And I think you and I are right in the heart of that. Like, I, I don't think how many more people. Like, look at this conversation of esoteric it's been. Like, how many people would be able to hang for this conversation? I don't even know that's a compliment to us. I'm just pointing out how bizarre this is that you and I exist. I'm almost positive that Coca stopped recording 20 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> See you later, Verk. Thank you so much. Thanks, Samson. This was fun, pal. Take care.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.